Sometimes the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Adelberg. Welcome again to the Back of the Range Golf Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Adelberg, and this is episode 18. Just wanted to take a quick moment to thank everyone that's listening and enjoying the podcast. Tom from Orlando, Trevor in Dallas, Adam in Idaho. Yes, I received your emails. Thank you very much. I'll be sending you some towels or hats with the Back of the Range Golf Podcast logo on it very soon. If you're wondering, hey, Ben, I want a towel. I want a hat. Well, send me an email. Let me know what you think of the podcast. And you never know what might just show up at your front door. I've been getting some questions recently about future guests. Believe me, I want to promote the hell out of these future guests, but I need to wait until everything is official before I do. But I can tell you about one very special guest that will be making an appearance very soon on the podcast. This month, we will welcome Golf Channel's college golf insider, Steve Burkowski. We had a great conversation recently about college golf, his start with the Golf Channel, and his experiences interviewing the stars of the PGA Tour. Trust me, you do not want to miss this episode. This week, though, I had a chance to sit down face-to-face with Greg O'Mahony from Jupiter, Florida. Greg has been fortunate enough to call me a friend for many... Okay. I meant to say that I have been fortunate enough to call... No, never mind. Greg was a three-time All-American at Nova Southeastern University in Davie, Florida. He led that team to two conference championships and was inducted into their Sports Hall of Fame in 2014. Greg has played on countless mini-tours all over the country, most notably the minor league golf tour in Florida where he is 8th in career earnings. The highlight of his professional career was when he Monday qualified into his hometown tournament, the 2011 Honda Classic. Greg has played all over the United States and Europe, chasing the dream of professional golf and had countless stories to share. In fact, because of this interview, we're going to do something a little bit different this week. So, let me let you behind the curtain just a little bit. The editing team... Who the hell am I kidding? I don't have a team. It's me. Anyway, these episodes are edited, and I try and keep them around 45 minutes to an hour in length. But when I recorded this episode with Greg, I quickly realized that this would be the first two-part episode of the Back of the Range Golf Podcast. There was just too much good content to leave on the cutting room floor. So stay tuned for the second half of this interview with Greg that will be posted later this week. That's right. You're getting two for the price of, well, this is all free, so that doesn't work. But anyway, you're going to get two episodes this week, so I hope you enjoy them. Before we get started, you know the drill. We're on Instagram. Check us out, the Back of the Range podcast, the website, thebackoftherange.com. That's where you can find all the episodes. That's where all the information sits for the podcast. And if you need to contact me at any time, Ben at the back of the range.com. I really appreciate how you all have been sharing the podcast with your friends, but please keep doing it and leave reviews in Apple Podcasts. You can also listen on Spotify. If you are listening on Spotify, shoot me an email. Let me know how that's working out. So without further delay, Greg, you're at the back of the range. Oh, it's great to be here. So before we get into uh, your Vast history of golf accomplishments through junior golf and high school and college and playing professionally. Let's drill down to some of the uh, real serious and hardcore questions. How do you pronounce your last name? And give me at least four different ways that it's been butchered. Okay, so O'Mahony, kind of like Oh My Honey, but real quick, kind of how I tell people. I've gotten it butchered O'Malley, 
Mahoney, Mahoney. One time, actually, my first year at Q school, the guy, I'm out in Beaumont, California at pre-Q. And the guy goes, first on the tee from Tequesta, Florida, Greg. And it just stone cold stops. I mean, he's not wrong, right? No, he's not, not wrong at all. But it was one of those moments where I was like, wait. They all got their last names. Where the heck's my last name? I mean, you're just you're not at that level yet. Well, yeah. actually, you're at a greater level than they are. I mean, it's it's Prince, and yeah. it's Sting, and Greg. I di- I didn't have my symbol yet, though. Was the problem? I didn't have a logo. Uh huh. Didn't have anything. We're gonna work on that. Okay. So before we get into, uh, like I said, before we get into this, you, this is the first episode here at the back of the range that is actually done in-house in studio. So if the uh, quality sounds good and there's extra giggling involved, it's because we're actually doing this face-to-face as opposed to the other guests on the podcast that have all been uh, over the phone. So you'll have to bear with me. Uh, this will be different for me. Well, I will tell you that you are a great host. You did offer me a nice bourbon on the rocks when I walked into the the back of the range podcast, which is a great fitting for golf these days. Absolutely. Well, you know, the studio offers, uh, we try and make our guests feel welcome. So, um, so tell me you are, as you said, to quest of Florida, that's where you grew up. It's where I grew up. Yep. I'm one of those locals that when I would tell people I'm from, usually say I'm from Jupiter, Florida, cause nobody's ever heard it's a quest of Florida sure. and people go, no, no, where are you really from? And I used to laugh and say, I actually went to elementary, middle school and high school in Jupiter, Florida. So you're like a unicorn. Uh, yeah, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm actually one of them also. I'm a native Floridian too, so we do share that. So how how did you get into – we, we kind of start these episodes off in a similar fashion. We'd like to get a little bit of background on how you got into the game, how you started playing golf, what piqued your interest. Give me your earliest memory of golf and when it really kind of became important in your life. So my earliest memory, I'd have to say it was when my dad owned a cabinet business up in Stewart and on his lunch breaks, he would take me over to, I believe it was, I think it's called golf world 76 now. And he would go tee up, he'd tee up 10 golf balls for me. And I would just whack away with a three wood all day. And my dad was a saint because I remember he'd tee me up 10. I'd whack him before he even got to hit one or two balls. So his relaxing lunch break away from dealing with all of his clients was to take his son to the golf range, which was awesome. But I mean, I'd hit three buckets and he'd hit maybe 25 shots. Okay, so the the addiction set in pretty early, like this was your thing. Yeah, like I I absolutely despised preschool. So I remember the the few days that he would make me go, it was awful. And then a lot of times he would just say, you're coming to work with me today. I don't know why they even paid the preschool bill, to be honest with you, because there's no point for me to go there. I don't think I've ever heard of anyone say, like, I just don't, I can't handle preschool. It's really (laughs) not my thing. The, The classes aren't challenging enough. And I don't feel stimulated intellectually. So let's just go ahead and skip past the uh, the early, early days. We're going to fast forward just a little bit here. Um, tell me about the experience you had playing junior golf and what was that setting like in, in the Jupiter to Cuesta area? What kind of opportunities were afforded to you to work on your game and then, you know, transition into playing it collegiately? Well, it was really cool. So there's a par three course in Jupiter called Jupiter Dunes Golf, or it's called the Little Monster. And in the summer, they used to have camp for kids. I believe it was something like $60. We'd get camp on Tuesday and Thursday nights. But that wasn't what was awesome about it. What was cool is you could play all the golf you wanted walking all summer. So I remember my parents would drop us off with a bagged lunch at 8 in the morning and pick us up at dark and yeah, 
different different time. Yeah, I, just, I remember I would go with my older brother and my two two of my best friends, and the four of us would be there every day. And it's it's almost like the Sandlot, where if somebody missed missed an opportunity, it was like, where the heck's Billy today? You right. know? Sure. And I, I'll never forget it because I mean I did that either three or four summers in a row until I probably started at eight, and then when I got to be about twelve, I got a little a lot more serious into golf. I started to get a lot better, and then I remember playing on the Treasure Coast Junior Golf Tour where there are some people that have come out of that that have on the PGA Tour now that have done a lot of cool things with golf. And I remember Lynn and Debbie ran the tour, two lady professionals that cared more about junior golf than I'd, anybody I've ever met in my life. And the Treasure Coast Junior Golf Tour was it kind of got me into the competitive mode of wanting to play golf. It's amazing how all it takes is just a junior golf program and people that care and get you exposed to competition. And that just leads into other aspects of, of your uh, uh, matriculation in the game of golf like without those opportunities it's just uh, an after school activity and that's not bringing you towards competition absolutely and like they were actually like big we would have like clinics and stuff like that to teach you the etiquette and the rules and they actually did it an unbelievably good job so you you play in high school it comes time for you to play collegiately what was your recruiting experience like what kind of schools were looking at you you know tell me tell us a little bit about where you actually ended up playing and what that process was like so i was i would say i was a good junior golfer maybe a late bloomer to where i was crazy crazy competitive i mean i would win events on the treasure coast junior golf tour but on the bigger stage like the ajga and maybe the florida state junior i never really did great i i almost qualified for the u.s junior one year but it, I didn't really blossom until kind of late in my senior year. I got, I was recruited by University of South Florida. I remember Rollins College, Oglethorpe wanted to sign me pretty much in the early signing, but it was a Division three school in Atlanta, Georgia. My goal was to stay. I was a naive kid. I wanted to be a Division one golfer in, in the state of Florida, and that was kind of all I wanted to do. Do you think that the transcripts from your preschool probably hurt you in the recruiting process? Uh, absolutely. They probably thought I was a little lazy. Okay. All right. Well, I mean, you can't blame them. No, 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 I mean, I would, I'd have doubts about myself too if I didn't want to go to preschool and play with blocks all day. I understand. I understand. Okay. So, so you end up going to, you, you picked USF. So, yeah. So, how it worked was I actually, I picked USF in the April signing, which is the later signing. You can sign early in November or the, I didn't want to say it's like tax day is when the late signings start. Okay. Okay. Um, I picked USF because it was, it was in Florida, it was a Division one school. It, it kind of hit all my bucket list things, and they weren't a top Division One school. I want to say we were top 100 in the nation at the point. And I was like, you know what? It's a great opportunity. I can grow with them. Maybe we can all grow together. There were two other freshmen coming in, so the, the team was kind of young. We could grow, and it was a very exciting opportunity. And you didn't graduate from USF, though. You spent a couple of years there. USF, at the time, I believe it had 45,000 kids. Um, I turned 18 my first day of college. I was, yeah. I was kind of a young recruit. Mm -hmm. I was, I wasn't on the right path, I guess you'd say. I mean, I was, I was doing okay in school. I was, I was on track to graduate, but I wasn't on track to like be a good student. I wasn't on track to get a good business degree. I wasn't on track to reach my goals of making it beyond golf, beyond college with golf. So you're just basically treading water and it just wasn't. I was treading water, but sinking more than I was treading. Okay. Okay. So what, um, so you transitioned from USF down to Nova Southeastern and apparently a light went off. Yeah, so how how it all kind of came together was my swing coach in high school, um, I, I started working with a guy named Kevin Marsh back, I want to say my sophomore year of high school, and that was when my game really started to turn, not to get back off track, but 
I won an AJGA, AJGA event my senior year of high school by 11 shots. And it was kind of like that, whoa, I can maybe win win and be a good golfer. Yeah, and when you get that taste, you're like, okay, I want more. And and that was right before I actually went to USF. It was June of 2004 when I graduated, right after I graduated high school. And it ended up making me an All-American in high school, an AJJ Rolex All-American. and kind of gave me that that drive to, to, to like, I want to play professional golf. And then when I got to USF, I had too much fun. I'll be honest with you. I wasn't practicing the way I needed to be practicing. I wasn't, I wasn't goal-oriented the way I was my last year of high school. And then halfway through my freshman year, Kevin had actually left PGA Golf Academy and got the head coaching job down at Nova. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to stick it out at, at USF. I want to I wanna start what I came here and do what I wanted to do and achieve goals at USF. And after about 18 months, I realized there was no way I was ever going to achieve the goals I wanted to do. So I decided to get my release papers. And the first phone call I made was to Kevin, if he had room for me. How often do you see players transfer out of colleges because they're just not comfortable with the university? They're not comfortable with guys in the team or the coach has a falling out? Is that something that happens a lot? Because I, I hear more and more that it does. Something I never really thought about. I you, you go to a school and, hey, for better or for worse, that's your school. Yeah, yeah, it happens. I, I think it happens a lot. People transfer. People maybe will leave early because of it. I mean, golf teams are really small, especially at the Division One level with Title IX rules where I, USF, we were only allowed eight players. So think about it, eight players, five travel. If you're not, quote unquote, good friends with the coach or he doesn't look at you the best way, sometimes it's it's a rocky relationship that may not be able to be mended. And I'm not saying that that's what happened with, with me. Of course. But it was just one of those things. It wasn't a good fit for me after about 18 months. Gotcha. So you come down to Nova Southeastern and, you know, familiar face, Kevin March is your coach. Um, I got a fresh start. I was closer to home. I was a USF. I was about three and a half hours away. Nova, I was about an hour away. I could come home, see, see the family a little bit. And also the fact I got to be with Kevin on a daily basis from a coaching perspective. My previous arrangement at, at USF, it was more of like, I was out lost my own little way because yep. if I got off on a bad foot with golf or in the wrong direction, I didn't have somebody that could say, Hey, this is what you're doing wrong. This is how to fix it. That knew me more than I knew myself essentially with golf. All right. So you, you go from division one from, from USF, you're down at NCAA division two, Nova Southeastern down in Davie, Florida. What were some of the differences that you saw in the culture at USF that you saw when you got to Nova? So, uh, well, right off the bat, Golf was a big sport at Nova. We were in the top, I want to say, 25 in the nation when I was recruited in Division II. And and golf was like, hey, this this program can win. So the athletic department was 100% behind it, where maybe we weren't viewed as the best thing in the world when we were at South Florida with a football team and all that other stuff. So going to Nova, to have the athletic director, director come to your team meetings and say, guys, we're behind you. If you need anything, don't be shy. Let me know. Which that was like, wow, they care about our student athletes a lot here. And then just the fact that Kevin was so Kevin was so goal driven and oriented that he has always a plan that I didn't have for the two years that I was in South Florida. Not to get uh, completely off topic of, of this serious um, uh, uh, conversation about about college golf, but it is college first. It's not just golf. So let's throw some people, you know, gently under the bus here. Give me an embarrassing story about your college days on the team at Nova Southeastern. Oh God, there's so many of them. I can go from pick where, the most legal one that we could share on a podcast. Well, embarrassing moment was I remember it was my first month and I'm at school 
we had had a hurricane come through, hurricane party. Half the team ended up swimming in the pond out front of my apartment. And then sure enough, multiple of us had missed workouts the next day Mm -hmm. to where Kevin had that sense of humor where if you're the one that screwed up, you didn't run the suicides. The rest of your team ran the suicides and you got to sit and watch. Oh, that bastard. Yeah, it was one of those like, oh my God, I messed up bad. (laughs) So the whole team's running and and you're sitting there, you know. It was me and one other guy that were sitting there. Yeah, kind of partner in crime. Oh, man. Terrible. Uh, how was the, how was the ladies team at Nova Southeastern? Uh, crazy good, actually. They they won a national championship. I want to say my second year at Nova. Um, they had girls that are now one of them is actually on the LPGA tour. Sandra Chanchika. Sorry if I butchered that, Sandra. Yeah. So um, back in your days when you're there playing at Nova Southeastern, who is the the woman on the ladies team that you did not want any part of on the golf course? Oh, probably Maria. Maria Garcia. She I she definitely had the ability to make it. I just don't know if she ever wanted she was from Uruguay. I don't know if she ever really wanted to travel into the States full time beyond right. college. I think her goals were more business oriented, family oriented. Sure. But she was so good. I was very impressed with her game. So you you spent a you have a great career at Nova Southeastern, you get inducted into their sports hall of fame, and you you leave school and when did it start becoming a reality to you that you, you started thinking, okay, I'm going to try and play professionally? Like, was there a point where, was there any doubt going into it? Was there um, uh, issues in formula- formulating a plan on how I'm actually going to accomplish this? When did that start taking shape? It wasn't obviously right after graduation. This, you know, walk me through that. So the light bulb kind of hit me like, you know what? I think I can make it. Um, my senior year, I want to say I top. I finished top five in like six tournaments in a row. I ended up becoming conference player of the year and an All-American again that year. And it was just one of those things where the coaches, fellow coaches were coming up to me like, what are your plans? Where are you going to start playing next year? And I was kind of like, well, like, maybe I should start putting a plan together. And I had some good friends behind me. Mr. Podcast himself, Ben, helped me a lot. And Oh, go on. <laughs> my dad was great with helping me out. I, I remember he would give me part-time work at the bed and breakfast that they were partners in to make some money to pay for entry fees, which was really cool. And I just honestly, I started playing the local minor league golf tour because I didn't know any better. I didn't, I didn't have a plan. You see these guys that are superstars. I didn't have the ability to go, Oh, can I have a sponsor's invite to go play in the Valero Texas open? So I kind of went, it's like, I need to take a little bit of money that I have and how do I grow that to be able to get to Q school? So that was my goal in the fall when I turned pro. So you, Okay, so you basically bankrolled yourself. I mean, you just started, I mean, you didn't really have investors. You didn't have sponsors when you started off. You just basically scraped the money together as best you could and used that for entry fees to go play. Yeah, I remember that I had about 250 bucks. I know that's funny, but I had $250. My dad gave me 500 I entered the Sunshine State Classic, which was on the minor league golf tour. I think it was a $750 entry fee. I finished third, I want to say, and I made... Maybe two grants. I profited $1,250, somewhere roughly around that. And I remember going, wow, that's a lot of money for me. And so I then was able to play. The entry fees used to range from 160 to 250 for one day or 350 for two days. And I just kept kind of parlaying that into more starts, more starts, more starts. And then all of a sudden, I had enough money to go to Pre-Q, which was $2,850, I want to say at the time. So I put it up, didn't think anything of it that they were going to ship me out to California and that I needed, whoa, $1,000 to go out there and all that. 
And I had a little bit of help from some close family that said, I'll give you a couple hundred bucks. I'll give you a couple hundred bucks to get me through that fall. So, you know, this is kind of a, a interesting topic that we're talking about here because a lot of it is, okay, you're, you're a college stud and that's at very different levels where you have a D1 guy, D2 guy, it doesn't really matter, but you're, you're dominating in college and you, you make that jump into trying to play professionally. There's many, many different ways of doing it. You can have, you know, friends of, at the club give you an unlimited budget that you can spend on travel and coaches and sports psychologists and whatever you need. And then your route, which is basically, here's my bankroll every week I'm putting up for grabs and I'm betting on myself. There's really not many people behind me. Do you think that added to your success? Like if it was too easy for you, would you have gotten as far as you did? I honestly think I got like a thousand times better my first year playing professional golf because of not having the resources to do it. I remember after I missed at Q school that fall, I played in the minor league golf tour match play tournament. The entry fee was $450. I had about $200. My dad gave me some money and he goes, Hey, to my older brother, Hey, do you mind supporting your brother for an event? And he goes, what's he need? I go 175 bucks would help me a ton. I remember after paying the entry fee and everything, I had 27 cents in my bank account. I remember the number. I won't ever forget it. I go out and I struggle. I shoot like 73 in the qualifying round, the seating round. To get into like top 32 made, I want to say I was like the 27th seed. I was like, that was kind of embarrassing. But I just chip away, chip away, chip away. And all of a sudden, I'm in the finals and I won the thing. I won $2,500. And that was kind of my let's go moment. Gave my brother back his money and a little bit of help. I maybe bought him a 12 pack of beer or something as a thank you. And nothing says thank you like, you know, <laughs> low and brow. Yeah. And I won't ever forget that he did that for me because, I mean, to give your brother money, that means he believes in you, which was pretty yeah. cool. You're talking about the minor league golf tour. Now that's based, I believe it's based out of Jupiter. Yeah. It's kind of South Florida. Okay. They play from, I mean, North, North Martin County all the way to Broward, I guess you'd say. Tell me about the guys that you ran into on that tour. Cause like, I know a lot of the names just because I've kept in touch and, and researched it. I know Scott Turner, who's going to be a, a guest on the podcast uh, somewhere down the line. I know he runs a great job there and they do uh, just, I mean, uh, ungodly amount of events just i mean it seems like every day they're doing something speak to the minor league golf tour as far as how it helps you prepare for the next step and what are the benefits what are some of the drawbacks just speak a little bit about that yeah so what's good about the minor league golf tour is it's to make any money you need to be winning it's if you're finishing fourth or fifth every day, you're profiting $50, $75, which that's great. You're not losing money. You're getting some experience. It's great. But to, to make money to be able to go, you know, what, I'm going to go chase a Monday. or I'm going to go move on to a bigger event that can make more money. You need to be winning. And it, it really taught me how to win. I mean, I think I won something 25, 30 times on that tour. I don't somewhere around there. And honestly, it was all because of having to win. Be like, how am I going to get to that Monday qualifier next month? Well, if I win a minor league for $1,000, I can go do it. And just for the record, you currently are eighth in the career money list for the minor league golf tour. Did you know that you your winnings are over $100,000? I did not know that. Didn't know the exact number. I just knew that for the first two years of my playing career, I self-funded myself through the minor league golf tour. Yeah, and Living at home, though. Yeah, well, but if you're able to do that, I mean, I don't think people listening truly understand what kind of an accomplishment that is because, in, like you said, in order to make any sort of profit, 
you need to you need to be top five or you need to win you need to to to, to not lose money you need to beat what about 50 players yeah well so their their form their formula was a little different than your typical mini tour event or your typical kind of event that isn't just on tv so your typical mini tour event usually pay the top third would make the cut the minor league golf tour pays out top 50 percent but only the top 25 percent get a break-even check or more okay so it it's great for guys to if they have a little bit of money to prolong their playing ability harder for guys to make a ton of money to really platform forward so the guys you see who may be above me the dan mccarthy for example or the steve lebron who steve's played on the pga tour dan mccarthy's having a breakout couple years on the web.com tour i mean justin hicks is up there he's made a little bit a lot of that money probably in the last few years and another one, Ben Silverman, who I kind of played a lot and dueled a lot with Ben. He's a great guy. And he did what I did a lot, self-funded himself for multiple years without a sponsor until he found a sponsor later, which helped him grow, play in Canada, and and get, eventually get to the web.com tour. So you you play the minor league golf tour, and that's literally just keeping you afloat while you wait for the next session of Q School. Uh, exactly. Yeah. So I waited for the next session of Q school. I, I, I wasn't ready to go to Q school my first year out of college. I was sure. nowhere near ready. I did it because it was the thing to do. You right. were a pro, you go to Q school. So learning experience, got through pre-qualifier, finished fifth or so there. And then I remember I missed getting out of first stage by one stroke. And I remember one of those things, I wasn't even mad because I knew deep down in my heart, I was not ready to move on. And everybody's like, oh, bummer, you'll get them next year. And I'm like, I kind of was like, is it weird that I feel like I accomplished something? Yeah. And mm-hmm. It was it was awesome because then the next the next summer, which is my we we'll call it my second year of playing. What year is this? Let me kind of level set for people listening. So you graduated college in, in two thousand and nine. Okay, so now we're in like 2010, 2011. Yeah, so t- two thousand nine, I went to Q school, got through pre, missed at first stage. Okay, two thousand and ten, I remember I borrowed a thousand dollars from my aunt to go to Iowa to play the Waterloo and the Cedar Rapids Open. Cedar Rapids Open. Yep, which kid from florida i've never even sniffed or thought about going to iowa why would i right is, is this iowa this is this heaven <laughs> there you go um no so it was great and i remember getting out there going these are some of the nicest people i've ever met in my life i immediately felt welcomed it's the midwest very very welcoming people yeah so i, I play in the waterloo open i remember i didn't know a thing about the events i was just a naive i was 22 years old or 23 years old at the time and I go out and I shoot five under the first round on a shorter kind of tight, I don't want to say a quirky golf course, but a course where you can shoot a million under, but you can also shoot 80 really fast. You're in the wrong spot. Right. And I shot five under the first day, 67. And then the second day I go out and I'm six under through eight holes with six birdies. And I'm at way early because the leaders had shot in 63. It's a two day shootout, $50,000 to the winner. And I remember looking at the board, I'm 11 under through 26 holes and I see that somebody's 14 under. I'm like, how the heck are the leaders 14 under already? Just I didn't know a thing about professional golf that I thought I knew that I should have just put my head down and kept going. Yep. And I remember I kind of struggled my way and I ended up shooting five under. So I shot 10 under for the week. I finished seventh. I made like 2,800 or $3,000, somewhere around there. And I remember going, well, that's awesome. I can pay my aunt back and I got some extra money now. That's the first thing that popped in my head. Sure. So then the next week is the Cedar Rapids Open. You're out there for two weeks and you play two events. It's great. They're an hour apart from each other. And I went into the next week totally free rolling in my head because my trip's paid for. I'm paying back the person that helped me out to get me here. I go in there and I actually lose by a shot and finish second place. And I make eight, eight or $9,000. So 
So all of a sudden I turned my thousand dollar loan into just over 11 grand, I want to say. And this is late in the summer. It's mid July, late July. So I'm like, wow, I have money for Q school now. I don't really have to worry about Q school because I'm still living at home at this time. Sure. So I'm not, my expenses aren't through the roof. And I remember going back home and I immediately was like, I need to keep playing. I'm playing well. I need to keep playing. I think I had shot something 20 or 21 under par for five rounds of golf, which that's, that's pretty good, which was like starting a trend for me that I was getting a lot better. Yeah. And I remember I went out and I won four or five minor leagues that fall before Q school. And then I actually Monday qualified into a web.com event. My first web event here in, in Miami at Mikasuki, which was really cool. And then, but I missed the cut. I shot a million, wasn't ready for it. Um, I go to first stage of Q school. I was exempt through pre-qualifier that year. I go to Q school and I win first stage by a few shots. Shoot 18 under for, for four rounds of golf. I'm like cloud nine. Ready to go. do this. I now have a belief in myself that has grown a lot. Go to second stage over at Southern Hills and just north of Tampa. And I'm shoot 66 the first round. So I'm like kind of like dancing around like golf is great. Yep. I think I shoot three or four under the first nine the second day. So I get it to 10 under. The, the number ended up being six under to get out, and I wasn't one of them. A little bit of lack of experience, maybe getting ahead of myself. Learning experience. I remember I made sure. a bogey and a triple on a par five, the back nine that second day, and just kind of all the air was gone. So let's kind of talk about the aspect of playing golf for a living and making it your job. Uh, a lot of times, you know, you're watching people play professionally on TV and you're just seeing them, you know, courtesy cars and private jets and everything looks great. Describe for me the parts of the job that aren't fun. Well, okay. So when I, my first three years, I didn't have any financial support, like real serious financial support to where I could pick and choose a schedule. Okay. Um, when I was by myself fully, I used to have to look and be like, okay, where are the cheap flights to get to a Monday? Where are the cheap rental cars that I can go for two weeks and just go drive? And I remember picking and choosing and going, I qualified for a web event in Lawrence, Kansas one year, actually. I played at, uh, it was University of Kansas's home golf course. Alvamar Golf Club. I played, the, they have a private and a public golf course there. Yep. And the way the web qualifiers used to work is there would be two golf courses and there would be seven spots on each golf course to Monday into. So half got shipped to the private, half got shipped to the public, and you couldn't choose. They just assign you where you want to go. And I remember I was just coming off of a off of a mini tour event where I made a little bit of money. They actually didn't end up paying me, so I didn't make any money. Mm, <laughs> it's part friendly. of the problem that that's friendly. We can get into. Um I remember it was like the best thing that ever happened to me. I'm in a small town that I've never been to before. Not that Lawrence is a small town, but small town. It was small for me growing up in Florida. Sure. And it was that was one of the best learning experiences of my life was Monday qualifying into that, figuring out I'm fully on the road by myself. Okay, I need to extend my rental car. <laughs> And what's the best way to do it? Do I just call and extend it and pay whatever the fee is? Do I drive the hour back to the airport to rent a new one via Priceline for $9 a day? So you're so so the challenges that you had are just navigating the financial aspect of, okay, flights and cars and hotels. What's the shittiest hotel you stayed in? Oh, God. Um, honestly, there's so many that I – if I had to pick one, it would be years later when I was at – uh, European tour school in Portugal. Okay, well let's 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 stay domestic <laughs> right now. We got a, We got a whole other episode that's going to be uh, about international golf travel. But give me the 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 worst hotel or rental car story 
just were you just were like I need to quit this game because this is just too this is too much. One of my last years of playing, I was in what is the name of that town in just north of Florida border in Georgia. I was playing a swing thought tour event, and I'm telling you, my food options were Hardee's, KFC. I don't, I don't even know some local diner that reminded me of my cousin Vinny with the lard scene. I'm like, where am I and why am I doing this? I remember I had just gotten engaged and I'm like, I don't even want to do this anymore in my head. It's like, why am I sitting in this small town USA in a roach motel that I think I paid $65 for sharing it with a buddy. Cause you had to, it's the sure. only way to make any money. I think we actually cleaned the hotel when we got in there. That's how bad it was. Ouch. That's not good. No, no, no. There's, and that's not the only time I've ever done that. I've cleaned where you're like, I need to wipe down where my, we're going to put my toothbrush and my toiletry bag because it's just, it's gross. Wow. No, it's not all private jets and five star hotels. I promise you that. So, what about the golf aspect of it that, that isn't fun? I mean, obviously, that, you know, you're going to run into some, you're going to catch some bad hotels, some bad, you know, rental cars that aren't there, flights that get bumped. What about the, actually, the part of the game that is just like, I mean, are there times where you know you have to go practice and you just don't want to? Oh, God, absolutely. Like, even to this day, being removed from golf for 15 months on a Sunday morning, it's the last thing I want to do is go hit golf balls. And yeah, I but love it's not, the game but of it's golf. But it's not your job anymore. I mean, it's not your full-time job anymore. Um, but, I mean, when you're in the thick of it and, like, you go shoot those 68s and you're, you're, you're running hot, you're running well, do you – I mean, do you have to force yourself into go to work on your putting or like, like, what do you do? I will tell you that was one of the hardest things was when I did a, st- a stretch of Mondays where I, I don't think I shot over 69, but I didn't shoot under 67 in four or five of them in a row. And I didn't get in any of them. So you're like, you're close. You need to practice. You need to keep getting better. So you're shooting four under on golf courses that are tipped out at like 7,400 yards. And you're like, yeah, I'm not good enough. And it crosses your brain for sure. And yeah. and what do you, but what do you, what could you possibly go back and work on after shooting 68s on a 7,400 yard golf course that's that's basically tipped out to as tough as, I mean, you just. 15 to 25 footers. Yeah. If that, I mean, because those are the ones that make the difference between shooting a 68 and a 64 is when you look back on the rounds that you got hot. Yeah. There's days where you're hitting it to a foot eight, nine times and you're hitting your driver great and you're hitting five irons to right in front of the green, chipping and putting, making easy birdies. It's the days where you're hitting it to 20 feet and you need to shoot 65. You have to make the 20 footers. Okay. So tell me a little bit about your, the, the closest experience you've had to playing in the PGA tour. You have played in one PGA tour event, correct? Yep. I'm Monday qualified in my hometown event, actually, the Honda Classic. Okay. So walk me through not just that Monday qualifier, but all the Monday qualifiers you've been into. Is it just, is is it less stress and less pressure because you know you just need a career day? Well, I, I don't want to say that it's less pressure and I don't want to say you need a career day because when you would sign up for a Monday qualifier, if you don't truly believe that your good game is good enough, then you shouldn't be doing it, in my opinion. So I knew going in, this was after I had gotten some success and realized I was better than I thought I was when I left college, Sure, was all I have to do is play good. I don't have to play amazing. I just have to play good. If I go and shoot 65, I'm going to get in a lot more times than I'm not. And if I viewed it like a minor league golf tour event where you pretty much have to shoot 65 to win, all I have to do is go win a minor league and I get to play in a web.com tour event or I get to play in a PGA tour event. So when I... Monday into the, the Honda Classic, I got to play a course that I, I knew pretty well, uh, Mayaku Lakes, which is a driver's golf course. 
if you drive the ball well there, you're going to play well. It's very narrow off the tee, and driving was probably my was always my best part of my game. Sure, I hit it relatively long, and I hit it relatively straight. So to have that advantage where I'm hitting wedges into holes where guys are hitting seven irons because they're laying back with a hybrid off the tee, I knew I had a chance at that golf course. And it was one of those days where I got a great pairing. I played with Matthias Gronberg, Swedish guy, yep. who was super nice. He was on the back half of his career kind of winding down, having be back in Monday qualifiers again. But he actually like pushed me on, was helping me, got out of my way when we started to, when it started to get near the crunch time. Like really awesome guy. But when I when I when I achieved that goal of Monday and in, it was like, whoa, I can always say that I made the PGA tour. Yep. Whether it be for a week or for full time. I achieved one of my goals in life. So you're you get through the Monday qualifier at at my coup for the for the Honda Classic. Which year was this? Uh, did you play? Uh, 2011. Okay. <laughs> you're it, you're walking in. You've played many tours for years. You you scraped by with with Roach Motels and uh, many tours that aren't paying you the the winnings that you deserve. Uh, missing flights, missing just. I mean, you're going through hell just to get to to the show. And you get to the PGA Tour. For people that don't really understand the the behind the scenes things of what it's like to play in a PGA Tour event, obviously we see this stuff on TV. Walk me through the the, the first week. Walk me through what happens right after you sign your card and you're in. So I was like one of the last groups. I want to say I was the third or fourth, the last group in the Monday. So my I didn't have that nail biting wait for four hours like a lot of guys get, which was a huge plus because I had just dealt with that. In the Mikasuki qualifier, actually, it was two Monday qualifiers in a row that I qualified for because I qualified for the web event at, at Mikasuki. It was back then it was a nationwide tour in October, okay. which was the last event you could qualify for on the web for that year. And then this was the first Monday qualifier I did of the next year. So I went two for two. And, and Mikasuki, I was like the second group off. I waited for like nine hours. It was awful. Couldn't eat lunch. Couldn't do anything. Nervous wreck. Sure. And then. Honda, I was like, oh, I got one of the last tee times. It kind of almost made me feel more laid back because you get a late, late tee time. The greens aren't going to be fresh. It's going to be windy at South Florida. I'm like, oh, it's kind of a bad draw. Eh, I'll just go play golf. Sure. Mentality. Went and played golf. Shot 66. Making the sloppiest bogey you've ever seen from the middle of the fairway on the last hole. I can, do that. I, I can make a sloppier bogey. I, uh, but, but anyway, go ahead. So I, I remember I get in at the last group posts and my buddy Russ Cochran, who I gotten to know pretty well over the last month, the month before this, kind of took me on his wing, gave me a little bit of mentorship, like giving me ideas, was in the last group. Tell the listeners what Russ Cochran has done in his career. Uh, well, Russ is a lefty. I call him lefty. That's how I call him. And That's very clever. Go ahead. So I go. I always go, lefty has won on the PGA Tour. He's won the Senior British Open. He's Got to be up there with top 25 senior career money earners, I would assume at this so point. So he knows his shit. Yeah, knows his shit for a guy that doesn't have the most pure move on the planet. Got He'll it. even say that himself. So anyway, Russ comes in, shoots a 68, mind you. He's like 53 years old at this point. <laughs> nice. He There was no 67 shot that day. So there was a 65 and 366 shot that day. And then there was a bunch of guys at 68. And I bumped the 68s out. Gotcha. Russ comes in, shoots a 68, and goes, damn you, Grego, in his Paducah, Kentucky accent, and gives me a fist pump. Was Couldn't have been more happy for me. Gotcha. So how it works is when you get done, you kind of need to be near the scoring tent in the Monday qualifier 
at the last scorecard being posted? Because you have about five minutes to be ready for a playoff if there is a playoff. They're not calling you saying, get your ass to the first tee for a playoff. If you're not there, you're not there. Sorry. So the, all the guys that are going to qualify are there. And I remember there was another young kid had Monday in, and then it was um, – I believe it was two kind of veterans, Josh Broadway, and then I can't remember the fourth guy's name. But they hand you a piece of paper. It says a sheet, and the very top – the very first page says – to gain membership of the tour, you need to make $678,000. That wasn't the exact number, but it was something like that. And I remember going, what are they giving me that information for? Because if you get whatever top 150 on the money list is, you're a temporary member for the remainder of the year. Yep. I remember looking at it going, I don't need to know that. I need to know where the heck I'm going. Yeah. Like I knew it was a PJ National, but do I enter a special gate? Do I need to like go somewhere off-site to get a credential so they let me through that gate? I remember going... This is unique. It's not the web.com tour where you just show up and they'll say, oh, you're playing golf. Have a nice day. You know, right. this is like the PGA tour where there's like courtesy vans and everything you could think of stopping people from going to the entrance of PGA National. So I remember I woke up the next day with no info. I had a booklet that said, congratulations for Monday qualifying to the 2011 Honda Classic. And my dad's caddy informed me. And uh, he's like, what time you want to get to the golf course tomorrow? I go, sun up. <laughs> Because who wouldn't want to go sit up at sunup and go hang out on the driving range at PJ National for the Honda Classic? There you go. So I remember getting there, and I show up to the security guard, and I go, sir, I've never done this before, but I'm Monday qualified. Where am I going? And he goes, oh, congrats. You Just go up to the, to the valet circle, and there's player parking on the right, or you can valet it, whatever you want to do. And I'm like, I think I'll go ahead and just player park, because I got to get my stuff together. My car was a mess. I had just been on the road, and... I Monday in. I'm like, I got to clean the, my shoes. The life of the professional golfer. Yeah, I had to figure out which shoes didn't look the worst, essentially, because I, I needed to look the part while I'm up there. You're basically describing yourself as if you're a guy trying to fake his way into a PGA Tour well, event, not a guy that actually did. Qual I'm just letting you know that you sound like the guy that that wore like a badge that said chaplain on it at the Ryder Cup. Do you know that story, by the way? No, I do not. Yeah, I just I just heard a story recently that at the Ryder Cup, it was actually Justin Lander on the Golf Channel at Faraday. So there was a guy, the guy that he hugged right after he made the putt against Olafable, it said Ryder Cup and chaplain. He wasn't in there. If that guy could put that smartness to something useful, he would be a very, very smart, wealthy man, I would assume. Well, he lied to Jesus. But anyway, all okay. right. So, so you you're basically showing up at a PGA Tour event, your first one. You don't know what the hell you're doing. This guy tells you go park there, and well, I remember. So we get there. My dad grabs my clubs out of the back, and I'm like, oh, I'm gonna grab a couple pairs of shoes. I'm assuming they have a locker for me. That way, I don't have to carry shoes in every day. My dad's like, yeah, it's probably a good idea. I'm like, all right. So I grab my two best pair of shoes. I walk in. I remember you walk into the members area of PJ National. And if you've never been to PJ National, it's kind of a factory. They have a bunch of golf courses. There's a like kind of public spa hotel side. Right. Then there's a member side. And they take the member side for all the players and for the big media and all that stuff. So I remember I go into the to the side where it says players entrance. My dad walks in because caddies are allowed in the locker rooms Monday, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays. Okay. They're not allowed in during playing days. And my dad comes in. And I'm like, where do I go to register? And they're like, oh, right here. It's five feet from me. I go in. I go, can I register? Did I do a I'm like, who's your caddy? And I go, well, my dad's my caddy. Well, he needs to register. Sure enough, it's like on the other side of PGA's complex. Of course. So I go, dad, I got so much stuff to do here. Can you figure that out? And he goes, absolutely goes. He goes and registers, gets his credentials, come back. 
And I never even thought to get a courtesy car. This was one of the coolest stories that I remember of my playing days. You should tell that story here. Well, so I go up and have breakfast because there's breakfast, lunch, and all the snacks you could think of to kind of keep myself occupied. And I'm like, free food, mini tour? Okay, I'll go have free food for breakfast. Sure. So I go up and I have this unbelievable shrimp and something omelet. I remember going, this is the life. This is unbelievable. If I make the PGA Tour, I'm going to weigh 400 pounds. (laughs) There's cookies at breakfast and there's so, like everything you could think of that you shouldn't be eating before you play golf, it's there. Mm -hmm. It's probably for the family and the kids, but but you're you're yeah. you're on a field trip this week, so I why felt not, like yeah. uh, Charlie and Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory. Take one of these. <laughs> <laughs> so my I'm up eating breakfast. My dad comes up and goes, uh, "I got your courtesy car for you." I remember going, "What the heck do I need a courtesy car for?" He goes, "Wouldn't it be cool to drive around in a courtesy car that says player of the Honda Classic?" And I went, "Yeah, that's a great idea." Might as well do it. So I remember I drove around in this, I mean, fully loaded Honda Odyssey for the week. And it was the coolest thing on the She hands me my, I had to go down and get the keys. But my dad reserved one for me because they wouldn't give it to the caddy, which makes sense. If you think about it. Yeah. Because they're caddies. <laughs> and so I go down, I go, uh, I guess I'm allowed a courtesy car. And they go, Greg, absolutely. What kind of car do you want? I go, well, I'm a local kid. I got a lot of family and friends. She goes, we'll give you our biggest minivan, the Honda Odyssey. And I go, okay, do I, do you need my driver's license? Do you need my insurance? Do I bring it back full? Where do I bring it back? She goes, Yeah, this isn't the Avis counter, okay? <laughs> this is the PGA. Oh, oh my God. What, so, a, what a goober. Go ahead. Sorry. So I, I look like, I have to look like the dumbest guy that's ever made the PGA <laughs> Tour event in the history. These ladies are looking at me like, what is wrong with this kid? I just play golf, ma'am. I don't know nothing about no cars. She goes, no, we don't need a driver's license. No, we don't need your insurance. And no, can you actually do us a favor and bring the thing back empty? And I'm like, what? She goes, Oh, it weighs less when we ship them off to wherever they ship them to. I'm like, oh, I guess I'll bring it that back makes, in. Yeah. So I got a free awesome car. I got free gas. I'm like, this is off to a great start. I didn't even think that I was playing for like $7 million in purse money. It never even crossed my mind. Looking back on it, money never even entered my brain. You made it. Yeah, I was like, I'm playing on the PGA Tour. Didn't care. My whole life of playing professional golf up until this point was dollars, 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 dollars. I get to this quote unquote, the show. And money never even crossed my mind. Wow. It was one of those moments. That's I remember, actually very, that's really, I don't know if that's. Really stupid. Looking no, back I, it. well. I mean, you could say it. I was not, like, if I would have had the well, same it's mentality. Well, fir- it's your first time. I mean, obviously, everyone, and I can't imagine any people aren't in that, wouldn't have that mindset. But it's just very interesting how you work your ass off to get there and you didn't feel the pressure of, of like, oh, gosh, I need to. Well, it was it was one of those things. I, I hadn't didn't have a sponsor. I was self funding myself. I paid the four hundred and fifty dollars to get into the Monday qualifier, which is an absurd amount of money for a mini tour golfer to pay for a Monday qualifier. Sure. And I just was like, I wanted to kind of soak it in a little bit. And my playing buddies, my friends that have been on the PGA tour that weren't in that week, or guys that I kind of got, I'm very fortunate to practice with that were like, Greg, have somebody handle your tickets. Have somebody handle all the quote-unquote bullshit that nobody wants to deal with week in and week out it's going to be a distraction for you go get your 50 sets of tickets that they'll give you because you're local and then just have your brother hand them out have a friend hand them out don't be dealing with it but i was kind of like 
I want to go hand a stack of tickets to the to the cart guys at the golf course that always treat me very nice. And I want to go hand a stack of tickets to the members at Cuesta for being so good to me. Like, are you kidding me? That's something I want to do. Sure. So I wanted to soak in the experience and share it with people that have helped me get to where I got. Right. So you tell me about the practice rounds or tell me about some of the other stories with with just the entire week. I mean, we could fill up this whole damn episode with this this tournament, it sounds like. Oh, I, it, was, it was one of those things I remember I was like, I was like, man, I could get some free gear. I need a new set of wedges. I remember thinking, I need wedges really bad. I was a Titleist ball shoe glove hat guy, but they don't give mini tour players all the equipment they can think of unless you're a superstar right out of college, which I was not. I was not a Jordan Spieth. I was not a, anything you could think of like that. So I was like, I can get a set of wedges. That'll save me for later in the year. I'll save them for when I need them for come fall. Sure. Um, oh, I can probably get a set of irons. That'd be kind of cool. I'm a Titleist kid. They'll give them to me. So I just was like, I took the practice round to kind of get the stuff I needed taken care of, order it or whatever I needed. The, the morning of the first, of the Tuesday, the first day I'm allowed there. Then I went, well, crap, this is my only time to play a practice round because Wednesdays are for pro-amps. Right. So it's about 10 o'clock in the morning at this point. And I'm like, I'm going to go play the golf course to my dad. I'm like, I've played it a thousand times growing up, but it's PGA Tour. I better play a practice round, see yeah. what it's like. See, yeah. There's rough. It's like four inches thick. So it's a little bit different. So I remember I walked over to the first team. I'm like, do I like put my name on a list or how do I play? <laughs> and there's nobody there with a list. It's just an empty tee. It says nobody can tee off the 10th hole past nine in the morning or something so that right. you don't cut in front of people that got early tee times. And I'm on the first one. I'm like, well, that doesn't apply to me. I guess I'm going to go play. And I remember up comes the, the little tiny hill from the putting green, Chris Stroud. Chris Stroud goes, hey, you mind if I join you? And I went, you want to play with me? Sure. Come on. Let's go. So Chris Stroud and I played a practice round and he was picking my brain for, he's a foodie and a wine guy. He's like, where's the best restaurant in town? So I tell him straight where to go. Like sure. this, my favorite place, go there. You know? what's, what's the name of that place? Oh, the food shack by far. There you Not go. Even close. We'll so, give them a plug on the show notes. All right. Food I'm shack. like, you got to go to food shack. They got a great beer list. I'm not, I wasn't, well, I'm not a wine guy. So I was like, I couldn't tell you what to order for wine, but the food's unbelievable. It's healthy. It's good. It's great. Go there. So we play a whole practice round. At the end of it, he gives me a hug. Like, play well this week. Go kick some butt. You know, which he didn't need to do that. He didn't need to take me under his wing like that. And it was really cool. So that was my practice round story. Okay. And then Wednesday, I kind of just hung around at the golf course. My mom came out that day and she she was like, I want to go into the, I got them both family credentials. They could go eat lunch with me and breakfast with me. Actually ate lunch with Tim Tebow, which was really cool. How the hell did that happen? So he's there playing. he was there for the (laughs) pro-am. Okay. He's there for the pro-am. And he sits down and he was like the most being, I grew up in a Florida state house. My dad went to Florida state. My sister went to Florida state. My little brother was at Florida state at the time. I'm like, Tim Tebow, this is who's going to have lunch with me. One of those, like in my head, like, sure. Then I'm like, that's Tim Tebow. Are you kidding? Sure. Join me. And he was the nicest person who he is on TV. Doesn't do him justice in my opinion. So awesome guy was like, I really think it's great what you guys do for a living. I have so much respect for you guys. Such a hard sport. That kind of mentality. I'm looking at him with my jaw on the table, like, are you kidding? Kind of thing. So what other experiences did you have with uh with some of the PGA Tour players that that I mean So that week it was kind of unique. Um I get paired with Kyle Stanley and Colt Nost, who I believe were rookies on the tour that year. Big, and big gravy. Yeah, oh yeah. That dude is awesome, by the way. Hilarious. And Kyle, sure enough gets out of the gate and is leading the golf tournament through about 22 holes. So sure enough, my first PGA Tour event, there's cameras everywhere on Friday afternoon. I'm talking like, what is going on? There's so many cameras moving around. 
uh, and it got me a lot of TV coverage, which was really cool that I got to go home and after having a few adult beverages after I missed the cut, got to watch myself on TV, which is pretty cool. Of course. So um, Colt Nost does not have the typical golf body. Um, and he's not shy to say it either. Not shy to say it. Um, what other, so between Colt and Kyle. Well, a little backstory on Colt. I get done. We're the last group on Friday. It's dark when we're finishing. And it's like a minimum to tip the locker room guys for the week. It's $50 to tip. Sure. That way you take care of the locker room guys. Yeah. And I remember going, Hey, is there like a list that I like give a $50 in the bin? That way they check me off. So I don't get fined or something. And Colt laughs and goes, no, that's not how it works. You just give it to the locker room guys. There's no list. And he takes out his wallet and gives the guy 50 bucks. And he goes, I was a mini tour kid one day. I know what this feels like. I got you. I want to see you next week in Tampa, which was so cool because 50 bucks for a mini tour kids, 50 bucks, yeah. you know? And he paid that for me, which was if I ever get see him, I'd love to take him to dinner or something. Sure. Um, but those guys were nice as can be. Kyle didn't end up winning, but had a, ended up breaking out later that year, and or maybe the next year, and winning in Phoenix or mm-hmm. somewhere. Yep. I remember that. Yeah, he won. He won Phoenix right after he spun that ball in the water at Torrey Pines. Yeah, okay, that is. Yeah, I think he made triple or something, and then yep. came. Which that's unbelievable to come back and win the yeah. very next week. Yeah, the emotions a, have to be through yeah. the roof. Wow. So um, you also ran into someone. Um, you ran into Boo Weekly. Mm. I ran into Boo Weekly in the locker room. I forgot about that, actually. So the week before the Honda is the Mexico event, I want to say they've changed the schedule so much, but it wasn't a WGC then. It was just a regular. I want to say it was the Mayakoba. Or, they've changed the yeah. schedule, so I don't yeah. know the exact name of it. And they had given the players two bottles of tequila. That's, oh, and sure enough, this is like the Tuesday that I first got there. It's in the afternoon. Boo probably shows up late Tuesday to to get the week started. I mean, if you're not a if you're not a Monday qualifier, you're not really chomping at the bit to be on the driving range. No, you know? No. So he opens up his clubs and he had put his tequila bottles, he just shoved them into his clubs for the airline. Okay. So you could put two and two together that both of the bottles did not survive the travel. Okay. So he had a broken bottle, his whole bag reeks like tequila. He looks up at me and goes Hey, man, you want some tequila? It's like the middle of the day. I'm like, uh, I'll pass, you know? He goes, all right. He sits down and has tequila. I'll, but I'll drink a beer with you. So I sat and had a Coors Light with Boo Weekly. And then we got very similar tea waves. And then Thursday, after we got done playing in the morning, I'm in there taking my shoes off. And they clean your shoes every minute you take them off on the PGA Tour. Okay. New spikes pretty much every day if you want them. He walks around and goes, let me get you kicks. Let me get you kicks to every player until he couldn't carry shoes anymore. This is Boo Weekly. Guy's probably made $20 million on the PGA Tour at this point. And he's picking up other players' shoes to go get them clean for him. That's how, like, down-to-earth the guy is. Unreal. <laughs> so, so just as a sidebar, like, how does a guy like Boo Weekly or some of these other guys that don't have the college background, maybe don't have the sponsorship background, how did the hell did those guys get on the PGA Tour as as compared to like the Maverick McNeely's, the Ricky Fowler's, um, you know, the John Rahm's coming as, you know, studs, uh, you know, the, the Joaquin Neiman who's going to come out, you know, the, the number one amateur in the world right now, Joaquin Neiman. Uh, I mean, how, how the hell do you explain stuff like that where you got guys that just have no background, you have no idea where they come from and they just show up and they're on tour? Well, I, I will say that he probably did a lot of what I did when I first came out. 
self-fund, win, 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 learn to win. And then he capitalized on the opportunities that I didn't capitalize on, which I had every chance to make the PGA Tour. I was given every opportunity. I had gave myself a lot of those opportunities, but I just didn't close at the right time when I needed to. Okay. And I would say Boo probably closed when he needed to. And I think mini tour golf and pro golf has changed a lot from when he first came out to make it. There was a lot more avenues to self-sustain. You could play the Golden Bear Tour, the Gateway Tour, make a hundred, hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars a year, pretty easily. Like if you were a top player. Okay. When I came out, if you made thirty-five thousand dollars on the minor league tour in a year, it was like you killed everybody. Sure. Yeah. You know, you can't pay your bills. Yeah. Off the, that. the the Golden Bear Tour doesn't exist anymore. No, Hooters it, really is. When those tours yeah. were designed to where you could play. 40 events in a year, some of them being three days, some of them being four days, where if there was a three-day event, you'd play six rounds of professional golf, two tournaments in eight days. Right. To where if you win both of them, you make 60 grand. That was never around for me. And right. those guys are sleeping in the same bed. Their travel expenses are zero. You're just paying your entry fee, and you're going home every night after you play. Yeah. So it was a different animal back then. Gotcha. Okay. So, Not to sound like I'm complaining in any no, way. No, no, it's just it's a different it's yeah. a different thing. It's it's yeah. I remember um, uh, you know Steve Anderson, who's on our first episode. He mentioned several times that uh, you know he played the Golden Bear Tour, where you just give like fifteen thousand dollars for like a seven month series, and that was it. And, it he, and you could very easily make a lot of money to support a family. Almost. Sure. And they actually had a rule, I believe, back where you had to go to Q school because they didn't want guys that were good at golf that didn't want to travel. Right. Like crushing their tour and not help because they wanted to see guys move on and have sure. an advertising name for them. You know, like Ken Kennerly was great at that, who ran that yep. now owns the Honda or runs the Honda. Yeah. So you, you miss the cut at the Honda. Um, does this give you the taste of, man, I want to get back here again. Or did you feel like you, I made it and whatever else I do is gravy. Not even close. I was like, I need to make it full time. Okay. It was almost not that I wasn't dedicated. It was a different gear of dedication. Um, I remember I went and played a minor league event that like, four days later and shot. This is funny. I look back on it and I laugh and I go, I shot 44 on the front nine. I'm playing with a buddy of mine at the time, Tom Carter, who was one of the first ever battlefield promotion on the web.com to the PGA tour. He was trying to get back into playing and making it again. We get paired and I shoot 44 on the front nine. And I'm telling you, I looked like a 25 handicap. I couldn't chip. I couldn't putt. I turn and shoot 30 on the back nine to shoot a crowd pleasing 74 to not get a check, obviously, but at least it was, at least you remembered how to play golf. Yeah, it was kind of one of those like, okay, the the hangovers o- over of making the PGA Tour for a week. Let's get back to work. How much did of. that suck going from the PGA Tour to a minor league event? I mean, um, I don't want to say that it sucked. I look back on it. I remember a few months later going, man, it would have been nice if I would have made the cut and made twenty, thirty, forty grand. Yeah. I'm not stressing over how I'm going to play yeah. in April. You know. So you, you get your taste of, of what the PGA Tour looks like, uh, where basically Boo Weekly is the most overqualified shoe technician, uh, and you're transitioning towards Q School. So you are you know where you want to be. You had a taste of it. Tell me about Q School that year. Okay, so I Mondayed into another web event that summer, missed the cut. Not a big deal, but I'm starting to get a trend where I'm Mondaying in. I'm like, I got the ability to do this. Yeah. Go to Q School and full-on develop the shanks. Not not kidding. Those are the El Hosels, the Tin Cups, whatever you want to call them. I developed them. Chili peppers up Lee Jansen's ass. Exactly. Got it. I end up missing it first stage by like three strokes, which was like a big punch in the face, five steps backwards. What am I going to do with my life kind of mentality? Like, I don't have any money. I'm now a year older. I had been to Q school three times now. I'm 0 for 3. I'm like, 
I know I'm good enough to make it. So I take like six weeks off. I'm like, I'm not even going to touch my golf clubs. You know, like I need to kind of reassess. I had never taken a break since college because I needed the money really bad. And I remember a buddy of mine goes, hey, why don't you come play in this pro member with me at Calusa Pines? So Naples, Florida, ultra exclusive, one of the best courses in Southwest Florida. So I was like, oh, I'd love to. I've always wanted to play there. I'd absolutely love to. He was a club pro. So they invite club pros and PGA Tour pros. It's kind of one of those exclusive things. And it happened to be during the week of finals of Q School. And the guy that he had normally played with, a good buddy of mine, had made finals. So he couldn't play. So like, Greg, come play with me. Who is like, this, right. this guy? Uh, my buddy's name's Adam Rayner. He's one of the top club pros in the nation. He actually played in the PGA Championship. A couple the years guy ago. that made finals that you took his spot as well. Oh, Derek Fathauer, kid I grew up with Got back it. from the Treasure Coast Junior Golf Tour days. Got That's it. where longtime friends. We played rivals in college a little bit. He was a stud, all American at Louisville. Different story. We're going to get some Fathauer stories. Yeah. But um, so I miss a Q school. I, I take some time off. I play in a mini tour event without having touched my clubs. I hit balls the day before and I go into 12 under, don't make a bogey, lose by a shot. Make a couple grand. I'm like, well, maybe I needed a break. The shanks sure. were gone. Go to the very three days later, I drive over to Naples, which is the hardest golf course in Florida when they set it up for this pro member. It's a pro pro member member. There's a pro pro division where it's best ball between you and your pro buddy. And then there's a best ball, one gross, one net with your amateurs. Remember, I hadn't seen the golf course, didn't have a chance to play practice. I shot 66 without a bogey. And our team was leading. I think we shot 63 best ball or something, which was like leading by a couple strokes against PGA Tour guys. And I remember the guy I was playing with goes, why are you not out there? Yeah. And this is when I found my first sponsor. Not going to mention names, not going to mention who it is, but Don't need to. he wrote me a very nice check and sponsorship deal where I gave a good portion of my future in the deal, which is how sponsorships tend to work with many tour guys. And that gave me not the relaxation, but the comfort to know that I'm doing the right thing, that I, that somebody's willing to write me a check basically as their employer or to, to go play golf. For they have day. faith in what they just saw, and, and they're in a financial situation where they're not expecting a huge return. If they get it, they get it. Full-on gambling, buying a horse to go to the Kentucky Derby that's a puppy, wherever you want to, whatever sure. our baby horse is called. It's not a puppy, but that's okay. <laughs> I play I play golf for a living. You play golf, yeah, it's trouble with middle school. Yeah. <laughs> so, preschool... Got it. Blocks. One Blocks. plus one equals two. A puppy horse. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the, the, the guy cuts you a check, takes the, the, the financial pressure off uh, moving forward. Um, Q school, you, you don't get through. You take your break. Mm-hmm. Um, so is this around the time that you start exploring the other tour, European tour? Uh, well, this is Gabe. When he... Joe Gen- so generously gave me the ability to travel. This gave me the ability to travel, like not be an in-town kind of stud right. to try to be a, a country. See if I can take my game anywhere. Sure. Sure enough, I find out I have a break in my wrist that January. I can't try to qualify for the Honda. I have to take about a month and a half to two months off to heal my wrist. I had it dislocated. I had been playing on a broken wrist and didn't even know it. Got some financial security and all of a sudden my wrist started killing me. So fixed my wrist. I joined this tour called the National Pro Tour. It was sponsored by Golf Week at the time. Okay. And it traveled all over the country. It did three weeks in Cal- in California, three or four weeks in Florida, Texas, the Midwest, all over. I actually go out and I win my third event out for $22,000. 
My sponsor is super pumped. I'm like, wow, this is cool. That's the biggest check I've ever had by far. I may have made a check for $5,000 funding myself. Sure. But that gave me even more like I can play anywhere in the country. So later that summer, the, the tour is in the Midwest and I, I Monday qualify for another web event. It was like a seven hour drive from the next event. I remember I'm like, you know what? I'm staying with my old assistant coach, Ryan Jamison, who's now the, the assistant coach to Paul. I'm sleeping on his couch for six weeks, saving money. Just because I had a sponsor didn't mean I didn't want to save money. I needed to be able to get to the next week. Sure. So I'm staying on his couch, enjoying. I've never spent any time in Chicago. I was staying in downtown Chicago in Wrigleyville. Got to enjoy, enjoy the life on the road a little bit. Sure. First time I actually got to sit back and actually enjoy where I was at, traveling as much as I was traveling. And remember, he, I'm like, hey, would you want to come caddy for me for two weeks? If I get into the web, caddy for me. If I don't, we'll go play this event in Bolingbrook, Illinois. A mini tour event. I go, I'll pay you whatever you would make if you, because this was the summertime, so I think he was caddying part-time at a golf course. I'll pay you whatever you would make for the week, no matter what. If I get in or don't get in, whatever. I want a caddy. I need a break. I carry my golf clubs. And if I get into the web, I'm going to need a caddy anyway. I go, well, we can share the hotel. Dinners or nothing. We, we'll figure it out. And he goes, heck yeah, I'd love to. I never got to play pro golf. I'd love to get a taste of it. There you go. We go and I shoot 63 in the Monday qualifier. I, I assume that did it. Actually, you'd be surprised. I had to go to a six for four playoff. You're shitting me. That was one of those eight hour nail. Bites. I hate that when I shoot 63 yeah. and doesn't get me in, man. So I go out to the. I, this is where I got to meet a, a guy that I think I think the world of. Um, I'm in the playoff with Morgan I Hoffman. I appreciate. That. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, sorry, sorry. So Morgan Hoffman. I get to meet Morgan. He's in the playoff with me, and we go up there. And this was before he was whoever. This PGA Tour guy, awesome. He's obviously was a stud at Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. I'm sorry, forgive me. All American stud, you know, but he hadn't done any, hasn't made it yet. Okay, so we go out and we go in the playoff, and we both just step up and crush drives. I'm talking murder. She wrote three thirty down the middle. It's in the Midwest where they mow the fairways, one side downgrade, one side into the grain, and we're literally on the line, like a foot from each other. Okay. And he goes, so do we get in because we hit the longest and the straightest drives? That's what he said to me. That makes sense. And I'm like, we're trying to battle for our lives, and this kid has that good of a sense of humor. Like, instantly, I knew he was a great guy. And we, he ends up, we both par the first hole. One guy makes a bogey. So now it's a five for four, drivable par four. I have the box. I step up and hit it 75 yards right out of bounds. I'm like, well, this was fun. Guess I'm not making this event. Hoff being Hoff steps up, murders a driver onto the green. I'm like, why would you hit driver? That's just how good the kid is. You know, two of the other kids then grab irons and lay up like anybody else would. Last kid hits driver, hits it right at me out of bounds. One of those, wow, game on. I'm back in it. Right. We both end up make reteeing, making birdie for bogey. So now it's a two for one. The other guys all make pars and birdies and they're, they're on. Right. So now it's two for one. Third hole is par five. I step up, blast driver in the fairway. He hit blast driver. He hits a hybrid to like 40 feet, par five. I hit a iron to like five feet. I make an eagle. Done. So I hit a ball out of bounds and made an eagle to get into a web event. So Golf is so dumb. Another, right, so. another cool story of meeting some really cool guys that have become very famous, I guess you'd say, or who already were famous. Buddy of mine is Sam Saunders, Arnie's grandson. Really great guy. Played a lot of mini tour golf with Sam. I got to stay on his couch quite a few times back when we were playing mini tour events in Orlando, turned into a really good, like a friend of mine. Sure. So 
I Monday into the web event and I go, hey, you want to play a practice round? I just Mondayed in. He had his web card this year. And he goes, Absa absolutely. I'm going to play with Billy and Lee at 8 a.m. I'm like, I didn't even think who Billy and Lee were. All right. Get there. It's Billy Horschel and Lee Jansen, who I grew up with Billy. Billy and I played a lot of junior golf together. Not friends, not enemies, acquaintances. You know yeah, what I mean? Just, hey, how's it going? Range, give him a hike. Yeah, yeah, good to see you. Play a practice round. We get into a money match. I'm like, whatever it is, it is. It's money match, made through golf. It's $2 best ball. Like, I mean, literally a comical bet for who these people are. You know what I mean? Billy hadn't made it yet. Lee's obviously had won the U.S. Open a couple times. Two-time U.S. Open champion, yeah. So but, you guys are playing for $2. And literally, Ryan's joking, saying, don't hit any chili peppers up Lee Jansen's ass. Oh. My caddy literally saying that to me in the practice round. Okay? I'm like, hey, parts, whose side are you on here? That is you know? funny, though. <laughs> Being the gambler, Ryan, is he's like, hey, I want half of whatever action we have today. So I go, okay, done. I don't know what we're playing for, but done. It's on the way to the golf course. Sure. So sure enough, Billy turns out to win the FedEx Cup. Lee is Lee Jansen. Sam's had turned his career into a great career. He's doing a lot of good things for what his granddad's done. Like yeah. I really admire what he's done with the role that he's in. And anyway, at the end of the day, it ends up being where we played a skins game. Sam and I took on Lee and Billy. We lost eight bucks each. Brutal. Brutal. $8. I remember going, okay, Ryan, you still want half the action? Joking. Don't want $4 from him. I hand Lee a $10 bill. I didn't have eight exact dollars. Sure. So I just go, hey, guys, I really enjoyed it. I got to go find a golf swing. I lost $8. Obviously, I'm not playing well enough. I'm losing money in practice rounds. Sure. So I go, and I had to get some club workout stuff done. I was with Adams Golf at the time, and I wanted to get the newest driver. Hadn't been able to get to their facility and all that stuff. And I remember going on the range, and all of a sudden, about a half hour later, Lee comes out and hands me $2 bills. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, tight ass. I'm like, what? what is this? And he goes, you gave me a 10. You only owed me eight. I kind of went, oh, thanks. And he goes, when you win a bet, you win what you win. When you lose a bet, you pay what you lose. I don't want to owe anybody a bet's a bet, whether it's a dollar or $5,000. And I kind of went, I just had a two-time U.S. Open champion walk from his lunch to come hand me $2. How cool is that? Yeah, that's that's <laughs> uh, it's different. And I remember the look on Ryan's face like, what in the heck that was just, that? That just happened. You did you pick his brand at all during that practice round, or you guys are just too uh, embroiled in the the heavy finances of this uh, monumental money match? You're Actually, playing? yeah, the course we were playing was really tight, bent fairways. I'm talking spectacular. Victoria National. If you're ever in the Midwest in Evansville, Indiana, and you get the opportunity to play it, play it. Okay. Fourteen awesome holes, and then four crazy hard holes. Like crazy hard holes. And I remember I hit a a drive on like. The twelfth or the thirteenth hole, this little short part four, and I had like seventy-two yards into the into the grain bent, and I full on lay the sod on it. And I, th- I want to say Sam was in his pocket, and I lay the sod on it. And I go, man, I just I don't think I like the way my wedge is set up for this grass. One of those like not blaming my equipment, but kind of like I want to get a different wedge for the way this grass feels. And Billy comes over and Lee comes over and goes, oh, let me see your wedge. And they went, oh man, that's a great Bermuda wedge. That's a terrible bent wedge. And I kind of went. Uh, can you kind of show me a little bit of what the heck you're talking about? Sure. So they're like, oh, you want to get one that's a little bit sharper. You know, yours has a little bit of a round. You want to get it with a little bit different bounce. And they're like, tell me you want that. I don't remember exactly the grind, he said. He goes, go to JJ, Titleist rep at the time. Have him build you an M grind with a little bit of this kicked off. And sure enough, it was like 
wow. Lightning, just, just I mean, uh, the, the just light, light, dad light, yeah. didn't feel pressure over the 74 yarders on a tight end of the grain bent lie anymore. Equipment does make a big difference. For the average amateurs and the average people that, that play in their club or they watch golf on, on TV, I mean, they just have no idea, do they? Just with, with the, the preciseness of the equipment. Not, the- not, not a clue at all. I mean, honestly, after that, I started to carry three to four 60-degree wedges with me everywhere I went because you never knew if you were going to get a great golf course, a bad golf course, a firm golf course, a soft golf course, a grainy golf course. You needed a different grind for every one of those, and I, I learned a lot in that one practice round because of that. Wow. And what those guys do on the PGA Tour, I mean, they'll play with like zero degrees of bounce at the British Open if it's firm because they just can't, they don't have room for it because the ground's so hard. And they're just picking everything clean. They're not hitting anything with their bounce or the wedges. It's just a different, yeah. that's how good they are. They can change their short games to adapt to the golf course. And there you have it. That is the end of part one of Greg O'Mahony's interview here at the Back of the Range Golf Podcast. Hope you all are enjoying it so far. Part two is coming up soon. So tune in. Don't forget, follow us on Instagram. Thebackoftherange.com is where you can get all the information you need. And we'll see you soon here at the Back of the Range.